Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Warfighter Training Simulation Podcast. Hello, Tom. Hello. Glad to see you're back for another education edition. This one's a doozy. Cannot get enough. But before I get sucked into this topic, and it's heavy, but heavy in a good way, heavy in an an important way that we need to cover... It's important to talk about, of course, the people that make this episode viable, make this education series uh, into fruition, and that's our sponsor, which is Conductor. Conductor. The actual Conductor episode was episode 12, where Robert Patton, the CEO, spoke about the synthetic internet, but it's, their software is absolutely mega. And I think if anyone hasn't heard about Conductor, their crisis management software, it's worth listening to that episode. But if you just want a laugh, then Colin and I had a little play on their, their software and we recorded it and put a little video out, which will be in the show notes. So please do stop by there if, if that's the thing that gets you interested or excited. So this episode was fun as well, because Bjorn kindly sat down to talk to us from his lakeside cabin and I had this image of a beautiful part of Sweden sort of meditating on HLA which is the protocol for connecting different simulations. I thought what was interesting is it's meant to be just trying to get to the trying to simplify some of the concepts so that we we can all sort of understand it but also how these standards are living they, they don't stay still they're always improved. So as there's a need to do something different in simulation, that standard will grow to give you more capability. And that wasn't always obvious to people, I think. Yeah, been in the industry for over three years and and I definitely haven't learned enough about the HLA. Unless you work with it on a regular basis, I think it's something that we all could benefit with knowing a bit more about. I absolutely loved listening and editing the podcast. So without further ado, let's hear from Bjorn. Well, I'm very pleased to introduce Bjorn Muller, who is the president of Pitch Technologies, to provide a bit of an insight into HLA. I guess some of our listeners won't know what that is, and I'm always a bit fuzzy about how it actually works. So this is a great refresher. But welcome, Bjorn. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Well, I should say Taksamunka, because you're yes. you're recording from your uh, lakeside hut out in the countryside, which is even better. So before we start, could you just give us a bit of a background where you came from you know, sort of in your professional capacity and what you've been working on at Pitch? So I've been, uh, originally I have a Master of Science in Computer Science, and I studied in my hometown, Linköping. I also went to Imperial College, and I uh, worked with AI together with a colleague, Stefan Löf, who we then decided maybe we should start our own company called Pitch. So we founded Pitch, basically a garage company. And then he had a background at Stanford Research Institute. I had a background at Imperial and also International. And it was really great. You know, when I was at Imperial, we would have people like Sir Clive Sinclair come around and show his latest gadgets and so on. And we wanted to work internationally with innovation. And Sweden is like 1% of the world market. So if you're interested in the other 99% of the tech, high-tech market, then you better go abroad. So we decided to work internationally. And one of the things we came up with was working modeling simulation, connecting computers, Windows 3.1 or not, those types of computers. And we built some uh, fairly basic trainers using Windows 3.11, which actually had networking for the Swedish defense. And we got involved in international standards. So that's how it started. And now I've been working with modeling and simulation for more than 25 years. And I wear two hats. One is uh, president of Pitch Technologies. And another one is I work a lot with 
standard. So I work in SISO and IEEE and similar with standards for modeling and simulation. I should just add at this point that I was given your details because I asked someone I respected highly that knows a lot about HLA and he said, speak to Bjorn. So I think we're probably, probably, you know, you're probably the, the best authority we have out there. So thank you. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, probably worth covering a bit of the background and the history of distributed simulation, because we like to think it's all new, but actually, I think we've been doing this for a while, haven't we? Yes, absolutely. Distributed simulation is a way for people to train together. If you think of training, if you're going to become a pilot, you need to learn how to fly an airplane. So when you, when you master the aircraft, kind of the motor skills, you need to take decisions, turn left, turn right, fire. And what's even more important, uh, after that, you, when you can take your decisions and you can fly the plane, you also need to talk to other people and work together and interoperate with other pilots and people on the ground etc. So then uh, working together, training together gets more and more important. And that was realized, I think, back in the 80s. There was something called a SimNet, which was a proprietary protocol. So you had platforms, land or air, and people could connect their simulators with the SimNet, which is kind of a hack, but very experimental, very pragmatic. Uh, and then we had a standard based on this called DIS, etc. And then we got HLA. Uh, and what happened there is that for the training side, like, for example, USDOD, they started buying a lot of trainers. They were supposed to talk to each other, but they had to pay for every little component every time. So if you wanted a visualizer, see computer-generated forces like a red force or opposing or enemy, then you had to buy everything every time. So they said, why don't we have a standard here for distributed training, for distributed simulation to connect these different systems? and uh, make them work together and make it an open standard. And I think the open standard thing is really important because people come up with all these proprietary ways and you should do it like the way we do it in my company or that other company and no one can agree but with an open standard everyone can contribute and agree so i think if if everyone can be part of it and we can have open standards then it's politically easier to build distributed simulation systems And, and don't underestimate this i mean at least i am really a tech guy but when it comes to having a project with different partners and like we connect like sometimes 30 countries they all have their systems and uh, ways of doing things so having a standard is, a, is I think a, a great way and now I'm kind of turning this into an open standards uh, podcast instead of HLA but I think uh, HLA is just one open standard that's that is uh, looking at the bigger picture what is needed when we train together so training together requires open standards if we're going to make the systems interoperate I guess in your own words I think our listeners might be familiar with DIS as a sort of slightly older standard, but what's the main differences and why was HLA developed? I think DIS, like SimNet, is an important stepping stone. So we started out with SimNet, they built something in the lab and then they decided to standardize that and improve it, that became DIS. Then uh, there was also other standards uh, like ALSP and, and uh, the US DoD wanted one standard to for all systems and also a way to separate what we call object models, and I'm thinking I'm going to come back quite a lot to object models. Object models is a way to describe what's the data you want to send and receive between your systems, like the position of an aircraft or the marking or a radio signal, so that needed to evolve more. So in 
this. You could only have one fixed information model, but people wanted to simulate all kinds of things, engineering, training, analysis, concept development. So you need to send and receive different data. So one of the key features was to be able to run with any type of information exchange, so object models. And, and I think also the need to run not only in, in real time, think of a modern battlefield, we will uh, run the same scenario over and over Monte Carlo and analyze different ways of approaching a problem. So what should we do in our next step? And there are actually people who think that the next generation of command and control systems will mainly be about what-if analysis. So we get the picture of the battlefield, but what if we do this? Or what if we do that? And then we need to run really fast and analyze different outcomes. This couldn't really do this. HLA could handle any information model and it could run as fast as possible, not only in real time. So those are some of the main reasons. But there's also a backwards compatibility. We have a lot of good these systems that work. We can connect them to HLA systems. I would even say that the trend I see now is people build a backbone of HLA and then they hook up uh, all kinds of existing this systems they already have. And that I think one of the main challenges is you have new systems, you have old systems, and you need to make them all work together. A computer scientist, a developer's favorite approach would be to build everything from scratch and get a new way of exchanging data but that's not the way it works in real life so you send and receive data between old and new systems that's probably an important point that i wasn't clear on that there is that backwards compatibility so it's not that you have to throw away the disk part that you've been using you can still use that with a new hla architecture now the really thorny bit which i always struggle with on hla is a couple of terms that i think we need to get to grips with that will make sense if we understand them better yeah and i usually say you need to understand like four terms so here's here are four new words we have systems we have simulators we have viewers we have data loggers all that and each system you hook up is called a federate so that's a federate and that is tightly connected with the next important word that's a federation that's all the systems that work together at a given time so you can have several training exercises going on on. At the same time, each of them in their own federation. So the federates form a federation. And if you think of the word federation, it really means like independent systems that can still work together. So that federation of kind of independent system. That's how it started. We, we had these independent simulators, federates that would connect into federation and send the data through the third word called the runtime infrastructure. And we usually say RTI. So uh, each system, each federate will send and receive data to the RTI, the runtime infrastructure, whatever they Data you like. If a federate wants to receive data, it will then get that type of data, like if it wants the aircraft positions or the commands, etc. Uh, so I had a federate, the federation, and then they, the federates connect to the RTI. So that's a software component that does all kinds of data exchange. And maybe the most interesting word is the fourth one, that is the federation object model. So you can decide what type of data you want to exchange and 
I've been involved in everything from engineering federations where we help the European Space Agency to connect different parts of a satellite system or a space vehicle that will land on Mars. I work with defense, with command and control, with railroad, all kinds of things. But then you need to decide what is the type of data. So uh, what are the type of objects and what are the attributes they have? This is a little bit like creating a database. You want to have database tables where you store like what is the name and age of a person. But here instead you define like an aircraft. It has a name. It has a position. It has a velocity. It has an altitude. So describing that, that goes into the FOM, the Federation Object Model. So that's my four words. The FEDRAT, that's the system. It connects to the RTI. And uh, that uh, makes the federation of a number of systems. And the data they exchange, the language is the federation object model. And we usually just say FOM, RTI and FOM. The FOMs are, there are also standards for FOMs. So there's, a, I think there's like a, a Reaper FOM, which is a common already built already defined you don't have to start from scratch with these things necessarily yeah so there are already lots of projects that spent many many years in figuring out what is a good form for an aircraft that's flying around that it would be the reaper form if you're in the defense area for defense and security reaper form what does reaper form mean it means the real-time platform reference form but it contains a lot of other things as well so it contains radio for example so radio uh, fire detonation it contains some synthetic environment things etc so there are a number of predefined things so what more does everyone does in the defense side they take an existing form and then they will add a little bit extra kind of some more attributes or some some more types of object and, and that's what people have been doing so on top of the reaper form we have, for example, Link 16 form if you want to have tactical data links, if you're into that. If you're doing live, we have the UCAT form, another form you can basically go out and download. But if there's one form that I like to highlight on top of the Reaper form, that you can add the Reaper form, is what they need to do. They do a form that has a number of things. First of all, weather. So uh, you can't really simulate any and train for any kind of scenario if you don't have weather. We see that all the time. Read the news, read about how the weather impacts, for example, the conflict in, in Ukraine. There's also tasking, so telling a vehicle to go to a certain position or an aircraft to fire at a certain target. So the uh, tasking and the reporting, etc. We have CBRN and a lot of other things. So, so that's another form. And there are more object models. There's a group right now working with cyber phone for cyber attacks and cyber effects. So the cyber form or cyber dem is actually the proper name. Is another new development. And I've personally been involved quite a lot with together with NASA and others for a space form where we can drive lunar rovers on the surface of the moon and get that properly described, etc. There's a much higher requirement actually for accuracy in space operations because some things move really fast compared to each other. So we have now this explosion of all these reusable object models from 
the reform, the existing tactical data links, you care for life, the NATO, all the forms, the cyber forms, the space forms. So that is, I think that's really cool. And I think that's also what the US DoD wanted to have as a kind of ecosystem where you get more and more knowledge collected into these object models. So the right now, HLA is, uh, it is evolving, uh, but the most impressive development is that people are starting to build standard object models of a type of data to exchange. So that's really cool. That adds not only you have standards, but you also build on the work that others have done and that sharing of ideas and potential. You end up, I think this is quite, it's, it's a good workhorse, but it does what it does what it says on the tin, whereas HLA is really quite expandable. So maybe that's the best way to summarize that. Yeah, uh, I would definitely agree. See a lot of this system, there's still some this evolution going on, but uh, we also uh, see that it sticks like within the platform to stick to the platform domain for example we see more and more of command and control training where you have what called c2 sim you mix real command and control systems with simulations so you have real c2 systems and you uh, use them to connect to not the real battlefield but a simulated one with a number of simulated systems and behavior on higher and lower echelons and just to come back and sort of summarize then the main areas that HLA is key features, if you can just give us an idea of this, I mean, you've covered some of them already, but sort of flavor what, what you can do with HLA. Yeah, typically, and I, I gave like four new words, and I would say HLA is like five capabilities. One is to be able to connect. So you have your Windows or Linux or, or whatnot, all versions, all systems from older and newer systems, and you can connect them. So that's the first one. The next one is to you can send and receive data, so exchange the data. So you can send aircraft positions. You can do publish and subscribe is a very technical term saying that the system, if it wants to send data, it publishes. If another system wants to receive data, it subscribes. So first is connect. Second one is, is exchange data. And the third one is to synchronize in several ways. First of all, like startup of a training event. Secondly, also synchronize the date and the time. Here's an interesting fun fact that the NASA people keep telling me, like, if you're trying to get the position of the International Space Station, and, for example, you're trying to dock, if you're one second off, then you're actually seven kilometers off when you try to dock, and that's quite a lot. So synchronized time and data re-simulation is important. So there I got three. And um, the fourth one is to be able to manage and monitor and see which systems are involved and monitor and manage. So that's number four. And number five is the ability to load and use different forms, object models. So connect, exchange data, synchronize the data and the startup and <coughs> shut down, manage monitor and the use federation object models. So there I got my like five capabilities of HLA in a very short summary. So I've got a question I'll leave to the end, but I think it'd be useful to our listeners having understood the nuts and bolts of it. Could you go through some real world examples of where it's used today and how that's actually worked out in practice? Some recent cases I've been involved with is a UK perspective would be Gladiator, Royal Air Force, who are building a training facility uh, where they have an HLA-based backbone. 
and they got lots of systems. Now, what's nice with Open Standard is they get systems from uh, simulations from all kinds of suppliers. I can actually be proud to say I work for Pitch, but I'm proud to see that we see our competitor systems being hooked up to our backbone. So that's really a nice. A gladiator is one example to train with several pilots in one location or having several locations trained together, but in the virtual world. So gladiator for Royal Air Force would be one example. So that is their domain pick command and control domain then we have viking and viking is a big exercise with up to 30 nations training peace support operations so more command and control and uh, that happens every second every third year so it's a u.s and swedish led exercise viking and uh, so you can train everything from the civilian the red cross the police and the military as well and both nato also uh, united nation organizations all trying to sort out a big disaster of some kind in some country where you have conflict or uproar or civilians and children in conflict or whatnot. So that is a very high level one. The highest level of training we provided there, uh, I think three, four years ago, we even have the Swedish Supreme Commander being trained in managing that together with other nations. Third, of course, my favorite, NASA Artemis. So NASA have been using uh, HLA and now with the Space Farm and for Artemis 1. And I'm just back. Last week, I was in the U.S. for the big Spacecom conference where they reported on Artemis 1 when they did not land on the moon, but the first mission there. So what does that have to do with the simulation? Well, all the different suppliers of a system, real system has to provide a simulation of their particular subsystem and then you integrate and you try out the entire mission before you do it for real using the HLA based simulation then with a space form that I've been involved with. So that's really cool. I think that's the most interesting part of HLA is that it allows potentially competing organizations to collaborate without the fear of sort of having IP compromised or revealing too much. You know, they can still federate in a secure way. That's a fair comment. Absolutely. So um, if you have a simulator of some system, you can just expose your position and that's it. You won't tell anyone how it works. And you can even, uh, like I worked also for uh, both for NATO and Royal Air Force in having cross-domain security. So you can sometimes release some data to other parts of the training event and sometimes not. So that's also something you, you may want to work with. But uh, you only expose some external interface, some, some properties. You don't tell them what goes on inside of your particular aircraft or system you said the word i was searching for the cross-domain security which is becoming more important as you start to connect all these different systems together and you have to have different layers to that security profile because you don't want to give everything to everyone so it's good to understand that just to sort of you know all this is a really good primer i guess what interests me is hla is continuing to evolve can you give us an idea of where what direction it's heading what's the new developments this year we are hopefully getting the newest version of hla called hla4 published so uh, every well, after typically five, six, seven years after a new release of HLA, then we get back and say, what do we want to fix? What do we want to add? Do we want to change something? Are we missing something? And we've been working now for a few years on HLA 4, which has some better features for doing more modeling. It has more security, has better ways to handle scalability, also easier to integrate in the cloud. I remember when this was started, 
20 years ago, no one wanted simulation in the cloud. Now everyone wants simulation in the cloud, whatever that means. But typically it's like hooking up to somewhere to a data center and then you get all your simulation done. So HLA version 4, which is technically completed, but we're going through the final review phases and then IEEE, who is the publisher, will need to go through it and put their stamp on it and publish it. So we hope to see this being finalized this year. And it's similar with the forms are also evolving. Reaper form is coming out now it's this year in Reaper form 3. We're kicking off space from 2.0 with a lot of Artemis like lunar habitat features etc and um, that is the standard there's also a lot of things happening on the market uh, some things that get a lot of attention is the integration of old systems with game engines and I was on a panel last week at the Spacecom forum in, in the US and they say hey you can't throw away all the libraries we already have with the great models since 20 years ago in the space domain we worked on this we had lots of uh, uh, literary rocket scientists doing this and uh, now you're talking about game engines and we concluded hey with this open standard we can make the proven existing models and libraries work like i work a lot with unreal engine from epic games and reuse the proven models and libraries together with the newest game engines who may not at all have that kind of features space library would have etc so that's some of the, the the things happening and of course like anything else cloud and scalability that's also something people are working with but HLA4 is kind of the big thing that's happening. And I think that's useful to understand because there's a tendency to think that because it's a defense standard and it's been around for a while it's not forward looking and thinking about the new problems and clearly it is the standards bodies are thinking about that and actively working in it so it's not a stuffy organization that's looking at the past actually very much looking at forward what problems will we need to solve tomorrow uh, yeah but to some degree you need to have proven solutions you you can't really invent something and say let's make it in standard and see if that works to some degree it's the more forward-looking industries and government and also academia that contribute to this evolution of, of the standard and it's i think it's it's really interesting to participate in these discussions with people who built all these simulators and what they want and what they need, what should be improved, etc. So that's part of the evolution. That's a really good overview for us. If people want to learn more, where's the best place for them to go? I think if you're more technical and want to understand how to do some some basic development, I uh, have indeed written an HLA tutorial you can download. It's actually linked from Wikipedia, but you can go to the Pitch website. So here's some shameless plug for pitchtechnologies.com. That's one place you can get uh, a tutorial on how to develop for the uh, HLA and how to develop simple forms. So that's nice. We also give tutorials at the conferences like SISU, and I think everyone in the defense community knows about AIDSEC, so we give tutorials there as well. So there are some ways to figure out more. That's great, and I think might try and put some links into the show notes if anyone wants to go and check out the um, the links. Thank you very much for spending half an hour with us, give us a bit of an overview, of, and I, I've certainly learned a lot. Hopefully you will see you around the bazaars. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and uh, I will keep listening on to your upcoming podcasts as well. Thanks, Bjorn. A topic that I wasn't sure I was going to get into like in my focused learning way. I just thought it might be a superficial level, but I really got halfway through that. I was like, actually... I'm starting to actually understand this. And then I got you know, more interested into it, more engaged in it. And it really, I really enjoyed it. So Bjorn, thank you so much for giving us the time and the benefits of your kind of godfather of HLA wisdom, the, 
that we, we much appreciate it. Although it now has posed a, a serious, uh, Colin, serious problem for me. My plan going forward from last episode for the rest of the season was to use mid-journey to generate the episode art. I have, haven't got a Scooby what inputs I'm going to use to generate the episode art for HLA. <laughs> well, I think that's the beauty. You don't know. That's part of the fun. But um, that was really useful in terms of just understanding what's coming up because unless you go and sit and sit and read the papers that come out of these uh, meetings it's a bit hard so it's kind of nice yeah it might be one we have sort of a once a year update on what's the latest developments in hla but definitely the stuff in the horizon we're not really even ready to use yet but they're thinking about how they would solve that problem absolutely uh, that's it for another episode colin anything else you want to add before we shut off no i'll just add thanks for all the reviews that have you submitted if you have awesome keep them coming And uh, we'll see you on the next one.